self-surgery. The internet says it's true. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like I made it up, but it's really true part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. This is episode 179. Uh, thanks again for joining me. Are you enjoying this podcast? I hope so. Uh, I hope I've given you some things to talk about when you're hanging out with friends. If that is true, if you do have some stories that you've learned about, hey, please go over to uh, wherever you review podcasts. The, pod- the Apple Podcast app is the most common one. Give me a five-star rating along with some words uh, about which episode you enjoyed. That goes a long way to helping other people find us. I have a quick correction from last week. Thanks to Kit Pierce on Twitter, I was reminded that the FF baseball card that was mentioned in one of the quiz questions last week was actually Billy Ripken, not Cal Ripken Jr., as I said. So thank you so much to Kit for that. You know, it's strange. After 178 episodes, I think that may be the first time we've ever gotten a correction from a listener. Uh, But if I'm wrong about that, I'll issue a correction about the corrections. In any case, uh, I love it when you let me know if we get something wrong. I love it when I hear that people are listening. So uh, you can let me know on socials, or if you're a tizzler, you can do it right there on the chat at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. And when you join Patreon, you end up getting every episode ad-free and early if I make them early. And you also get access to stuff that other people can't see, like live video interviews with our guests and more. Once again, become a tizzler at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. I am once again asking for your financial support. And one more reminder about this this week, uh, and then I'm going to drop it. If you are someone who listens to us via the NPR One app, that app is being retired and all migrated to the new NPR app. Our podcast is available there, so go to the NPR app and follow The Internet Says It's True. I did verify that we are up on that app, so go check it out. There are a lot of listeners that like that NPR One app, so uh, make sure you're still able to listen. So with all that said, let's talk about self-surgery. Let's get on with it. Imagine the moment that you're holding a blade above your own skin, about to cut into it in order to save your own life. There are only a few circumstances where someone would be drawn to perform surgery on themselves. The first one would be some sort of rare psychological disorder that would cause someone to mutilate themselves. We're talking about something very different than cutting or self-harm. In the case of the very rare body integrity disorder, people have been known to actually want to amputate their own limbs. Some have even carried through with it. But then there's the case of medically necessary surgery. The only situation you'd ever want to do it to yourself is in a dire circumstance where getting to a hospital isn't an option, or perhaps someone might choose to do so to avoid medical expenses or laws. In all of these cases, self-surgery is an extreme last resort and incredibly rare. Our story today is about one such case, the story of Leonid Rogozov. His story is probably the most popular of all of the tales we have about people doing surgery on themselves. There's a story from 1920 where a German doctor had heard about the idea of reaching a horse heart through a jugular vein known as catheterization. It hadn't been done on a human, so he did it to himself. The funny story here is that he wanted to do it to a patient and the chief of surgery said no. So he asked if he could do it to himself and the chief still said no. So he secretly recruited an operating room nurse to help him do it anyway. See, he needed her permission to use the room, and she volunteered to be the patient, but he still wanted to do it on himself. So he said yes to her that he would do the surgery on her just so he could use the room. Then he anesthetized her and told her she would be the patient. Then he just did it to himself. 
He was successful in reaching the heart with the catheter and became the first to do so. Sometimes the person doing surgery isn't a surgeon, but has to do it in order to survive. And this was the case with hiker Aaron Ralston. In 2003, he was exploring a canyon and a boulder above him came loose, trapping him to the rock wall by his right arm. He had no way to contact anyone for help because his cell phone didn't have a signal down in the canyon. And he knew that if he didn't free himself, he definitely wouldn't be found and he would die of starvation. So Ralston reached his left arm into his pocket and retrieved a pocket knife. The rest of the story is told in the Danny Boyle film 127 Hours, but you can imagine what he did. He had to cut through the skin, muscle, and tendons, twisting and breaking his own bones with no anesthesia. He was able to amputate his own arm and climb the remaining 65 feet to safety. And in the case of today's story, the story of Leonid Rogozov, it's a combination of surgical know-how and survival. Because in 1961, he found himself in a dangerous situation. We'll talk about it after a quick break from our sponsors. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing balms, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. Leonid Rogozov was trained in pediatrics and became licensed in the Soviet Union as a general practitioner in 1959. It was then that he began to study for what he really wanted to do, surgery. So at the age of 25, he started his clinical surgery training, but only got a year into it before an opportunity for work showed up. In 1960, at the age of 26, he was asked to join the 6th Soviet Antarctic Expedition as their doctor. He had his general practitioner training, and that was enough to be more than able to serve as the expeditionary doctor for a team of 13 researchers on their trip. Their mission was to head to the Novolazarevskaya station in Antarctica, 5,500 miles from where he graduated medical school in St. Petersburg, Russia. They would leave as the polar winter came over Antarctica in 1961. The remote research station had only just been established in February, and the job of this group of 13 was to reach the station and see it through the harsh winter months. The harsh weather wouldn't allow for a flight, so the group had to travel to Antarctica by sea. It took the group 36 days 
to get to Novolazarevskaya. Once there, they would be a thousand miles from the next nearest Soviet research station. It was truly a remote location, but the 13 researchers made it successfully. Everything was going smoothly until late April of 1961. On the morning of April 29, Leonid Rogozov woke up with a stinging pain in his abdomen that moved toward the lower right side. That symptom, along with the weakness, nausea, and fatigue he was experiencing, made it clear to the medically educated man what was happening. He was suffering from peritonitis, most likely from an appendix that had either ruptured or was about to rupture at any minute. Rogozov hadn't ruled out more conservative options for treatment. He considered them, but he knew that none of them would have helped. There was already infection happening inside his body, and the appendix absolutely had to be removed if he wanted to survive. The crew began contacting other research stations run by other countries, but no one had an aircraft available, and even if they did, the weather conditions outside would have prevented safe flying. The nearest Soviet station was Mirny, which was a thousand miles away. The ship that had brought them wouldn't be back for another year. He was out of options. It was remove the appendix or die. The idea of removing one's own appendix wasn't necessarily new. According to a report by the National Institute of Health, it was first attempted in 1912 by American surgeon Bertram Alden, who was forced to end the procedure early when his assistant threatened to leave. It was successfully accomplished by another American surgeon, Evan O'Neill Kane, in 1921. After his successful self-surgery, Kane boldly wrote to other physicians, I wish to emphasize my statement that any surgeons, if not obese, can, with perfect ease and even comfort, self-operate in cases such as mine. Now, whether or not Leonid Rogozov had researched these cases or not remains unknown but he made the decision to move forward with the surgery on May 1st. Thanks to a journal he kept, we know exactly what he was thinking at the time. Rogozov wrote the following, quote, I did not sleep at all last night. It hurts like the devil. A snowstorm whipping through my soul, wailing like a hundred jackals. Still no obvious symptoms that perforation is imminent, but an oppressive feeling of foreboding hangs over me. This is it. I have to think through the only possible way out, to operate on myself. It's almost impossible, but I can't just fold my arms and give up." End quote. Before going forward with the surgery, it was important that the entire thing be approved by their commander in Moscow. This was 1961, a time when tensions between Russia and the West were at a high and every little news story about failure could cause national embarrassment for the Soviets. The decision was made that the surgery could happen. Rogozov recruited two of his fellow expeditioners to help him out, the team's driver and meteorologist. They would aid in handing him instruments, holding a lamp and a mirror. Another member stood watch in the room in case anyone passed out or additional hands were needed. The tools were sterilized by putting them outside in the freezing cold with unsurvivable temperatures well below zero. Rogozov had to find the right reclining posture to be able to be most effective, and what he decided was that if he were in a semi-reclining position with the upper half of his body upright and tilted slightly to his left, he would have the best opportunity to see what he was doing. His only anesthesia was a 0.5% solution of Novocaine injected into the abdominal wall. The helpers watched as Rogozov cut an incision into his abdomen 
and not being able to see properly, he accidentally cut too far and cut into his intestine, which he then had to suture before continuing. Once the repair was done, he finally was able to see his appendix. He reported it as having a dark stain at its base and concluded that it wasn't ruptured, but would have within the next day. He felt bad for his assistants. In his journal, he wrote, quote, My poor assistants, at the last minute I looked over at them. They stood there in their surgical whites, whiter than white themselves. I was scared too, but when I picked up the needle with the Novocaine and gave myself the first injection, somehow I automatically switched into operating mode, and from that point on, I didn't notice anything else, end quote. The idea of using a mirror was a good one, but it threw him off with everything being in mirror image, so he decided instead to work by feel alone removing his gloves. And as the surgery went on, Rogozov grew weak and dizzy and began needing to take 20-minute breaks just to keep himself from passing out. The bleeding was heavy. And after two hours, the surgery was done. The appendix had been successfully removed and he sewed the final stitches in his abdomen. He wouldn't know if it had been a success until he fully recovered over the next days. And this part is amazing. After five days, his symptoms were gone. No more fever. After seven days, he removed his stitches. And two weeks later, Rogozov was back on his feet, resuming his normal duties tending to the needs of the other researchers. This was groundbreaking, and one of the reasons it became so widely known is because of Rogozov's meticulous journal entries detailing every step. And there's also the fact that his fellow expeditioners took photos of the entire process. So we have a very detailed and accurate account of everything that took place. Again, this was a time in which exhibitions of toughness and ingenuity went a long way to capture the imagination of not just the Soviet Union, but the entire world, which was incredibly competitive at this time. Later that year, Rogozov was recognized for his courage and awarded the Order of the Red Banner of Labor, which was at the time the third highest award that a Soviet civilian could be given. The surgery also resulted in a change to policy on long expeditions like these. Future researchers would undergo medical testing to ensure their fitness before undertaking long expeditions. Leonid Rogozov lived until 2000, dying at the age of 66 from lung cancer. But his story of resilience, self-reliance, and fortitude lives on. The internet says it's true. It's time for Yap Yap with me and a friend. Today I'm calling our good friend Glenn Tickle. Glenn is a comedian from New Jersey. He's appeared on Dry Bar Comedy, Travel Channel, Cozy TV. He can always be heard on Sirius XM. He's got millions of views on TikTok, and his new special called Glenn Tickle Against the World Crime League is out now. It's available all over the web. You can see it on YouTube. Uh, and he just returned from an international tour in Hungary. Um, what's going on, man? Good to see you, first of all. Hello. Great to see you again as well. I think you recapped what's going on pretty <laughs> yeah, well. It's a lot in there. Uh, I just got back from a week in Budapest, and I'm still jet lagged which is a lot what i remember being hungover feels like but yeah that's been a few years and it is it's just been like a two-day sleepy headache you know i i can remember i mean it's been a while since i've been jet lagged badly uh you know and last time i did a long overseas trip i can remember the the hardest part for me is that when i come back they say that the way to get unjet lagged is to like eat and sleep at normal times but your body doesn't yeah. want to do that and so like you get hungry at the weirdest times and then you eat 
and then it can, just keeps you on, you know, Hungarian time. You're going to stay there unless, you know, you, you, your body's like, I need to take a nap at some strange time, and you just do it. So that's the hardest well, part. What's wild is, as an entertainer, like, we don't have regular hours, you know? Like, yeah. The closest thing I have to a regular schedule is that I'm usually the one who picks up and drops off my kids from school. But what happens at any other time can be all over the place, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, I was uh, I was thrilled to see to see you in Hungary because we were just chatting on this podcast a few episodes ago. I mean, you were on the you were on the the episode where we talked about Dick Tracy, but it may have been even the episode you were on before that where you were like, I think I want to go to Hungary. And you had yeah. made a Facebook post about it. You're like, this is like a goal of mine. I want to do comedy in Hungary. And it was just a yeah. pipe dream. Like it didn't exist. This was a thing that you will into fruition. Yeah, you can just apparently apparently you can just say, I want to go to Hungary and do comedy. And then the universe is like, "Okay." Yeah, I just did it today, too. Uh, I put up a thing on Facebook. I'm like, hey, if anybody wants to book me in Toronto in April so I can go to a chess tournament, uh, that would be great. But yeah, it's only been a few hours and that hasn't paid off yet, but it might, you know, there was a. um. There was a Dr. Mario party in Columbus that you wanted to go to. Wow. And you were like, hey, Michael, can you get me some bookings in Columbus? And I did not come through. So I feel oh, like you tried, though. Budapest did better than I did uh, on coming through with gigs. I yeah, did try. I've actually, I missed that year. I did make it out. Okay. I was talking to you about it to do the Dr. Mario tournament. Uh, but then the past two years, I've had to miss it for various family reasons. So I'm hoping to get back in 2024. I'd be to, interested to see a doctor. To reclaim have, my, not title, I haven't won, but I've qualified both times I've competed. Or really? all, yeah, both times. I haven't played I'm Dr. Mario good. since it first came out on the original. I've played it a lot since then. That's, that's <laughs> incredible. too much. That's incredible, man. Um, so how was it? What, was it what you expected, first of all? It's it was beautiful. I've been the reason I wanted to go there is because I've been like writing all this material about uh, Hungary because I, I qualify for Hungarian citizenship because of my great grandparents being okay. from there. So I have all this material, but I would like try it here and it wouldn't work. <laughs> it would just like fall flat. And I'm like, no, I feel like if I feel like this would work there, like this would go over really well if I go wow. to Hungary and perform this material. But you're doing it and in some of it. Yes. Okay. Uh, I know a little bit of Hungarian, but not enough to perform in. Um, I got around like I was, you know, ordering and, and asking people for directions. I was giving people directions That's in Hungarian uh, confidently. Uh, and then I think as soon as they heard me speak, they lost. Con- like I knew what they were asking <laughs> me and I knew the answer. But I, I've been learning Hungarian for like two years, which seems like a lot but i think it just means like i speak like a two-year-old hungarian baby so (laughs) they see me a six foot tall man they ask me for directions on the tram and then i start speaking at them like a large hungarian baby and they're like oh actually we're gonna we're just gonna check google maps or ask anybody else we know we don't know that you actually know that's good this this all feels like the beginning of you know your next special where you tell these stories um yeah well that's i put it in the in the credits of one uh, Glenn Tickle against the World Crime League. Uh, I put watch for Glenn Tickle's next adventure, Glenn Tickle live in Budapest. Uh, but even World Crime League started as a joke too. I think right. we talked about that last time. Yeah. In the credits of the special before that. So now I feel unstoppable. 
Like whatever I put in the credits of my next special, like I feel like I have a wish from a genie. Like I can do anything. Yeah, yeah. it's either it's, a genie or, or or make a wish or something's happening. Yeah, it's hopefully it's, not a monkey paw. Yes, yeah, <laughs> like, I want to go. Something. I don't, know, is, I don't know what to wish for. You've you know? tapped into I some sort of special, uh, amazing will granting thing. Um, well, I brought you back on because you're always so much fun to have on. So for this first question, we're going to play for a joke. If you get it wrong, you're going to tell me a joke. And if you get it right, I'll tell you a joke. Here is your question. Leonid Rogozov was a Soviet doctor who, in 1961, made news by doing what? So his name was, I, I screwed up his name, Leonid Rogozov. So A, he discovered the appendix. B, he performed the very first appendectomy. Or C, he performed his own appendectomy. I feel like it can't be A. I feel like we probably knew that little guy was in there well before 1961. Uh, and it's got to be his own because I feel like that couldn't have been the first one. The first the one must have happened by accident well before then, you know? I, the answer is C. You got it right. He performed his own appendectomy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Incredible. He, he, he took out his own appendix. He was on, on purpose? Yeah, so he was on a trip, uh, a research trip to Antarctica, and it was by necessity. Um, he, oh, it wasn't just for kicks. He, he was <laughs> it no, wasn't he like was a bet. he was a um, well, he was a pediatrician who had been studying surgery, so he knew enough surgery to know so kind of what to do. He wasn't like a pro. This was like a hobby. Uh, it it was it was he was semi pro, I would say, because. So uh, surgery well, wasn't doctor, his specialty. Like, yeah, he knew what he was doing, but just barely, I think. Um, but he performed it and recovered really well. And here's the coolest part. So probably dead now, though. Well, he's dead now only because it happened in 1961. He, yeah, he only, he only <laughs> three years ago. He he lived to like 2007 or something. He he sur- he recovered from the surgery in seven days. Like his wound was healed in seven days. Um, it would take me longer than that. That's, that's guaranteed. Guaranteed. I have a cut on my hand from three weeks ago and it, the scar, yeah. the, it's still healing. But I think one of the coolest things about this is one of the ways that he, um, what do you say, uh, sterilized his equipment was he just put it outside. It was like 50 below zero. Um, yeah. And he was in the Antarctic and they couldn't get to the research station where they were, where they were headed. Um, and he had to just do it. And he did it partially sitting up. So he was laying down and kind of on like tilted to the side and sitting up yeah. so that he could see what he needed to see. He passed out a few times <laughs> or Naturally. got dizzy. Um, and he had two. Of I'm, his... I'm going to pass out just from this story. Isn't it? Isn't it crazy? <laughs> he removed his own appendix. All right. So you got it right, which means I owe you a joke. Um, let's see. Before surgery, the, anesthe- the anesthesiologist offered to knock me out with a get. I'm going to start this one over. You're doing great. <laughs> Thanks. Before the, I'm ready for Budapest. Uh, before the surgery, the anesthesiologist offered to knock me out with gas or a boat paddle. It was an ether or situation. No problem. I feel like the, the jokes are always puns that I come up with for this because most street jokes are. Um, yeah, they're, either, I, they're either puns or uh, unspeakably racist. Those <laughs> yeah, are the choices. Yeah. They're street jokes. Unbelievable. Did you find that like there were any topics that were taboo in, in Hungary? 
Uh, no, I was surprised because both I did two shows, uh, and both both times the the openers covered topics that I w- I would have been like worried to do. Yeah. Uh, only because I'm like I don't know culturally like what flies here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have one joke that it's not really a dig against their prime minister, but it uh, it's in a larger story of a guy. Here, when I mentioned that I was trying to get Hungarian citizenship, he's like, well, their prime minister is like the European Donald Trump. And the joke is, well, we have the regular one. Like, that's not a good insult. (laughs) And it's I mean, it is, I guess, kind of a dig at both of them. But in the joke, it is somebody else making the insult. But both shows uh, openers were like complaining about Viktor Orban. They're the Hungarian prime minister. And I was like, and the audiences were into it. And I was like, That's oh, good. okay, good. I thought, good sign. cause I've done that joke here and like Trump people get mad at it. Yeah. And I'm like, all I'm, all I'm saying is someone compared him to some, somebody else. Calm down. I, took I mean, he's all, a buffoon, but I, yeah, I took uh, all the Trump jokes out of my show because of that. It was, it was just kind of a bummer. And I think even for like liberal crowds, it's a bummer because it's like reminding them, that he exists yeah. uh, for the people that hate him and for the people that love him, you know, it's obvious, it's the obvious thing of that. Like, you know, you're making I'm fun kind of, of my in the same leader. boat of just like, it makes me sad to, <laughs> to yeah. think about. Yeah. Um, but that, like I said, it's part, it's like one line in a larger story. Sure. And it is, uh, it's wild. Cause like it, that's the most about politics I've talked was on the shows in Budapest because like it is inherently political. Cause I'm trying to get, citizenship in a foreign country it's hard to like not bring up the the politics of it and i mean i am largely doing it as a bit because i found out that i can just get a passport i don't have to live there or anything wow i just have to like show up with birth certificates and then pass an interview in hungarian on their citizenship test it's just like you must perform two or more comedy shows in country (laughs) you must sell out at least one show (laughs) did you sell Uh, one out well i'm I did. The, the main awesome. one sold out. The other one, I was just they just like tacked me on at the end of oh, an open cool. mic, yeah. which was packed, but it wasn't like a ticketed thing. So sure. I, I yeah, don't think it would be fair awesome. to call them both a seller. I hope like you go back next well year and then and and then like have to keep adding shows because the word spread without you knowing it and just like grew. That's like you have dream. this giant Hungarian following. Like you're like the, that's, the Jerry honestly, Lewis that's in the France. Goal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, because that happened, uh, Arge Barker when he got. Uh, a fairly small part on the Flight of the Concords TV show. Yeah, uh, I had heard that when they toured after that show came out, uh, they went to Australia and he was their opening act, and Australians loved him. So he just <laughs> like know. moved there. He's yeah, like, I'm not... huge here. Why would I want to go back to Brooklyn? Sure, strike while the iron's hot, right man. When they introduced me, hell yeah. Yeah. Well, for question two, we're going to play for an admission of the worst thing we've ever created, written or performed. Just you know, <laughs> okay. a joke that didn't work. Uh, or a bit, whatever. How big was the largest human appendix to be observed in all of recorded medical history? Um, and I will add this. It was an appendix that was removed. So how big was the largest human appendix removed? Was it A, 4.3 inches long, B, 7.6 inches long, or C, 10.2 inches long? Uh, man. I I gotta think. You put the big one in as a trap, but four whatever inches is not that impressive. I'm gonna go B. The answer 
10.2 inches long. Uh, it was in. Uh, that's a thick appendix. It was August 26, 2006, which coincidentally was the day I got married. Uh, tw- August 26, <laughs> 2006, during an autopsy in uh, <laughs> it was in Zagreb, uh, Croatia. Surgeons obtained a 10.24 inch appendix from a 72 year old Safranco August, um, and the deceased currently holds the Guinness World Record for the largest appendix removed. So, how big are they normally? I don't think they're over a couple inches. Um, that's a good question. We're going to look that right now. How big? Uh, but since you mentioned Guinness World Record, uh, I'm I'm going to be attempting to help break one in uh, your home state of Ohio later this month. Oh, really? Uh, Ricky's Comedy Club in uh, I forget what town. I think it's near Dayton. Uh, is trying to set the world record for the longest comedy show. Oh, cool. Uh, So they're doing a festival that is just, uh, I believe the goal is five or six days nonstop. (laughs) That's too much comedy. uh, Yeah. I (laughs) I have a sweet Saturday morning uh, at 10 a.m. spot. You and the bartender. Yeah, it's gonna no, be and all the other comedians. That'll be cool. It'll be like a festival. That's what it'll feel like. You know. Yeah, I think there. I think there needs to be a minimum number of audience members, but other performers count. So they're like really encouraging. They're like, just come and watch and hang out, sure. so we don't have to like sweat. There's enough people here. Yeah. Um, but you get to yeah, the last person, to- and then Guinness says, "Ah, oh, there's there needs to be one more person in here." <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> People that just happened out in the middle of my set. I'm like, by, no. <laughs> by the way, while you were telling that story, I did look up. Um, it's between three and four inches long is the the average appendix. Um, so there was a guy that just built the, the world's tallest um, Eiffel Tower out of matchsticks. And Guinness, when he finished I saw it, a headline about this. Yeah, Guinness, when he finished it, said, sorry, you used the wrong kind of matchsticks. Because these aren't commercially available, he had gotten them like somewhere on the internet because he was buying them in bulk, and he was he was like carving them or something. I don't know what he was doing, but um, then they went back and they did award him the Guinness the Guinness uh, record for the tallest. I don't know if it's a tallest matchstick matchstick structure or tallest Eiffel Tower. I don't know exactly yeah. what it is, but I briefly skimmed a headline on that, and yeah. then I'm like, that's about as much as this. I, this story I need. Well, there was a really heartbreaking quote from him because he was like, the entire time I was building it, I thought I was going to be accomplishing a world record. And I was like, oh, can you, you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine you get to the end and they're like, <clears throat> where'd you get those uh, matchsticks, bro? Where you need just... some matchstick receipts, bud. That's right. That's right. All right. So um, what do you think? Do you have like a worst thing you've ever created, written or performed? Man, I've been trying to think about this. Uh, the problem is I just put out banger after banger. So <laughs> to try to like go back, um, I, I'm sure it would have been a short film I made in college. Oh. Uh, I don't know what one, like I made a feature in my last year uh, that's out there in the world. It's kind of hard to find. I haven't watched it in years. I'm sure it's like embarrassing because I made it when I was like 22. Can you give us but, a title, something to Google? Uh, it's several ways to die trying. I stole it from a dashboard confessional song, so okay. that that sets the tone. Nice. Um, but several ways yeah, like it to, won try, to die trying. Stuff. So, like, I know it is not. It's like embarrassing to look back on because it's the thing I made in my twenties. Yeah, but I'm I'm trying to think of like all the shorts I made in college. It's got to be one of them. Sure, but it's, I'm sure it's just some absolute piece of trash. <laughs> uh, 
there was one, I think the very first one that I made was like a joke about camera perspective. Uh, Cause it was, it was a tight shot of one person yelling, Hey, really loud tight shot of a person turning around back to the tight shot of the person yelling, they yell louder. This goes back and forth three or four times. And then it cuts to the two shot and they're right next to each right other. Next to each other. Yeah. And to me, hilarious. Hilarious but at the time. Like, right? No one in the class did or like understood. They're like, well, why would he be yelling? I'm like, well, because he's right next. So, so it's funny because you don't know that they're right next to each other. But I think it was because got it on campus and like they knew the location. They're like, well, no, we know he's right there. Like, yeah, you shot it by the lake. We've all been in the lake 10,000 times. <laughs> <laughs> right they were just too familiar that needs a wider yeah. audience um, there's probably a worse one that i've like blacked <laughs> out of my memory but i remember being like really embarrassed that no one thought that was anywhere near as funny as i did <laughs> i thought i think it's funny i mean i think i feel like i would laugh at that uh it seems like a good tiktok or vine like it feels like that would be a great medium yeah, for a joke was, like that it was a couple years before vine but i feel yeah. like it would have would have popped off in a big way uh, for question three, we're going to play for a sticker, which is the same sticker we play for every week. It's three inches square and it's sticky and you can get them if you become a visitor at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. Um, that's not all you get. There's a lot of fun stuff you get, but that's the physical thing I will mail to you at all levels. Uh, Charles Darwin thought that the appendix was a leftover evolutionary organ uh, that that served no purpose in modern humans. But new medicine has an explanation for what they think the appendix does. Which one of these is it? Is it A, it regulates bile, B, stores healthy bacteria, or C, it's where the pee is stored? No, I know where that is. That's the balls. <laughs> the balls. <laughs> um, oh, I do remember seeing this headline, too. Uh, yeah, this is somewhat I feel like something else. I feel like something else manages bile so i'm gonna say the bacteria one b you are b correct you got a sticker you get a sticker it, it it stores healthy bacteria is what they think now because uh there's lots of bacteria in there which is why when it perforates when it appendix doesn't really burst when append when the people say you have a burst appendix it gets blocked up and creates a perforation and i think what happens then is that bacteria sort of mixes where it's not supposed to mix or something not sure yeah not you want to regulate that bacteria for sure yeah yeah, a lot of us. I think we don't have enough of the healthy bacteria because we're we're. That's what uh, the the uh, the poop yogurt is supposed to be good the for. The poop yogurt, yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, probiotic yogurt. Yeah, it's supposed to be good for your for your poops. If there you was eat a, a bunch of bacteria. There was an NPR episode. Um, I don't know if it was This American Life. I can't remember what it was. A long time ago. I talk about this all the time because I I loved it. It was one of the first podcasts I ever heard. Uh, and it was. This dude started harvesting his own hookworms and he cured his really, really bad allergies by harvesting his own hookworms. And if you want to know how to harvest a hookworm, it's probably exactly what you're thinking. He harvested it out of his own fecal matter um, and he <laughs> began a business harvesting hookworms for other people and mailing them. And then the FEC or no, the FCC, the F, the FC, FTC Trade Commission, maybe. I think it was the trade commission. I mean, there's the so FTC much wrong shut him with down. this. I feel like a lot of agencies <laughs> should have gotten involved. Well, you know, he just he just effed off to another country, and he sells them from there now. He lives in like Costa Rica, and he still 
it takes hooks, hookworms and puts I mean, them in the mail why, for people to, to consume. So um, his consume. research, yeah, they eat them like with their mouth. You just gobble mm, them up. I'm you assuming, already have. I don't know how you would. Well, he, I don't know because the way he got them was he went to a um, place in Africa with very dirty ground and walked outside of where their commodes were, and he got it through his feet. So I don't know how the consumers get it. But because yeah, I know that was the thing in like the American South, uh, it it helped lead to like the stereotype that Southerners are like dumb and lazy because a lot of them had hookworm, and it like it make it like gives you fatigue and like wears yeah. you out. But um, those allergies, they didn't have them. So there you go. That's that's what he took them for. Man. Was he he had so bad, bad allergies? allergies he, but I don't know if I'm willing to harvest worms. No, it's I wouldn't either. You know, just take a. Take a Zyrtec something. Yeah. But apparently none of that stuff worked for this guy. He couldn't even leave the house. His allergies were so bad. So this made, this gave him his life back. So I'll have to, I'll have to but hunt it, that but he down. Had that them all, that, all right, that, I'll, that I can episode. look this up instead of grilling you about it. But. Yeah. I'll find it and send it to you. I'll put it, maybe I'll put it yeah. in the show notes or something too, because it's an incredible story. Um, and, and uh, I was blown away and it, it was the first time I had heard of this idea of like uh, healthy parasites in our body like we should have there are parasites we're supposed to have in our bodies so a little bit different than bacteria like but venom. anyway <laughs> yeah you're supposed to have a healthy amount of venom just in case i don't know no, where it is at any time from space he's supposed yeah. to oh 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 you. now see once you get into sci-fi you lose me i'm i'm a sci-fi <laughs> i'm ignorant of sci-fi okay let's move on uh question four for this question we're gonna play for an admission of the best thing that's happened to us this week um, and I'm going to make you, since you got back from Budapest, you accomplished this goal. I'm yeah. going to make you make it very specific. So one okay. very specific thing, but only if you get it wrong. Um, I'm happy to hear it if you want to share it anyway. What percentage of people have to, uh, have had or have to have their appendix removed on a whole, like on an average? What percentage of people have their appendix removed? Um, and we'll we'll make this, um, this is worldwide number as far as I know. So. Uh, here are your your options. I mean, it's pretty much a straight guess, regardless of <laughs> what right. area you're applying this to. You're right. I tried to space the three numbers apart from each other so mm -hmm. that it wasn't super hard. But A, 7%, B, 20%, or C, 45%. So it was either 7, 20, or 45% have to have their appendix removed at some point in their life. I'm going to say 7, because I don't think I know that many people who have had it. Done. You're killing it. The answer is seven. That's absolutely correct. Seven percent. Uh, appendicitis mostly affects little kids and teens between four and 15. It's rare in infants. Seven percent of people have to have their appendix removed in their lifetime. So um, last time I talked to you, you when we did the Dick Tracy episode, Glenn Tickle um, crime league against the crime Against the world crime, <laughs> against a bad the world title crime. that I should not have used. But in in that episode, go back and listen to that episode. Glenn explains the reason for that title. Um, it had just come out. How's it doing? Uh, it's it's doing well. Uh, I've I've not looked at the numbers in a couple of days, but it it crossed sixty thousand uh, by the end of last year. Uh, which I didn't. I was I was trying to find like a number that would make me happy. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't decide what it would be. Yeah. Uh, but I feel pretty good about it being at 60,000 something. It might be higher now. But Should we play a quick um, clip from it here or should we make people go to YouTube and watch it? 
Oh, you can, if you have the technology, you can absolutely. Yeah. Let's just do a quick clip. When I was down at my parents' house, my mom's like, Glenn, I have some of your baby stuff if you want to take it back with you. And I'm like, well, I'm an adult man, mother. That's not going to fit. <laughs> You're being ridiculous. She's like, no, I mean for your kids. And I thought she meant clothes or like toys or something. She handed me an envelope of my hair and teeth from when I was a baby. You know, in case I want to cast any spells, I guess, mom, I don't know. So good. Um, I, I, I'm going to go back and watch that, that whole thing, but you guys can check that out at, uh, just go to YouTube, search for Glenn Tickle against the world crime league. Um, yeah, if you just go to glentickle.com, should be there the you first go. thing that comes Easiest up. way to do it. Perfect. Perfect. Well, you've done very well. You've gone uh, three for four on this. Uh, and the next one, if you get it right, it's for all the marbles. So you're welcome back on the podcast anytime. But if you get it wrong, never again. I'll never, I'll never talk to you again, to be honest. If Wait, you didn't tell me the best thing that happened to you. Oh, I, I didn't. I'm really bad at the stakes on this game. The best thing that happened to me this week. Um, <laughs> God, I got to tell you. This is a this is a little bit of a humble brag. Uh, financially, one of the best weeks I've had in a very, very long time. So I had um, five gigs in seven days, and they're all like good gigs. So um, today is my day off. We're recording this on a Thursday or on a Friday, and then I have to do another one tomorrow. But um, I so two things that you know made a lot of money this week, which is really good. Had great shows, really good audiences, uh, and on Monday I checked off another state, Montana. So I am now sitting at 48 out of 50 states that I've performed in. I still need Utah yeah. and Wyoming, but I performed uh, in Montana on Monday for about 1,200 people, and it was just awesome. I got Utah. Crowd. I still need Wyoming. I think not I'm much, at 42. Yeah, Utah's tough. There's not much there unless you're, unless you're uh, you know, doing stuff for the Mormon church. There's not a whole lot going on yeah. in Utah. And then Wyoming I mean, is tough. That's where uh, Drybar records, so that's when I crossed oh, that. Oh, there you go. That's one way to do um, it. There is a magic yeah. theater in Utah as well that I should look into. Give them a call. So, yeah. Pop that one up. Wyoming, I, can't, I don't know. That yeah, might not tough. even be a real place. <laughs> yeah, I, it's a lot like my Montana. It's just ranches everywhere. So yeah. um, here's your question for all the marbles, Glenn. If you were forced to do surgery on yourself, what surgery would you choose to do with your current medical knowledge? Um. I think at best, I think it would have to be the castaway tooth extraction. Yes. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. That's because, a, that's that's a winner. Oh, geez. Like I have a pretty high pain tolerance because mm -hmm. I have an autoimmune disease, so everything hurts all the time. Uh, but since I don't know what I'm doing, like I wouldn't be confident getting in there at all. Teeth like, feel kind of just yeah. Teeth are maybe one of those things you feel like you could mess up a little bit and it'd still be okay. Yeah, like you're probably not going to die. You might like I'm sure <laughs> historically people have goofed up their own teeth enough that it killed them uh, because of a weird infection or whatever. But yeah, I mean, you get an ice skate on a beach, you are you are golden. I think I could pull oh, that one off. Yeah, oof. I would do uh, I would do trepanation. I would drill a hole in my head. The hole no, in your I, would, head? I wouldn't do that. 
I wouldn't. I couldn't. I, I mean, I, sometimes I get a feeling like, you know, when I have a really bad headache that I need to do that. But um, no, I would definitely yeah. I would definitely uh, probably That's how also I've been feeling choose... most of the last two days. Since I got oh, back. Yeah, oh you God. need you need to uh, to get back on our time, man. So I've been um, trying, like I I stayed up like I because that was the thing everybody was telling me. Yeah. They're like, don't like when you get to hungry, don't take a nap. When you get home, don't take a nap. Yeah. Uh, and like I stayed up pretty reasonable hours both day of both trips and i don't know it still just took i'm glad i didn't get there day of the show i would have been useless regardless of jet lag just traveling is exhausting i mean just the yeah. sitting especially international travel when there's just so much sitting around and waiting and customs and everything Being on an airplane a, i hate flying so much yeah it's rough it's rough Reading that was good. my least favorite part of the trip did you read Absolutely. some books on the airplane having to fly there uh i played a lot of uh, chess on the oh, nice. in-flight entertainment system. Um, I tried taking naps on the plane, but I I don't do it well. I was listening to a lot of podcasts. Um, the way back, I was reading. I bought uh, a, a trade paperback of Marvel team up issues, but in Hungarian. Oh, cool. uh, so I was trying to like work through that to figure yeah. out what Iron Man and Spider Man were getting up to. Um, yeah, that and I was the the way home was the longest flight I've ever been on. It was nine hours fifteen minutes, I believe. It's long. It's a long time to be yeah, on an airplane. Miserable. Yeah, that's my but, least favorite way of getting around. Go check out glentickle.com. That's G L E N and then tickle like the way you spell tickle uh, dot com, and you can see his comedy special. You can see if he's performing in a spot near you, and uh, yeah, I'll support take him. that bands in town page. I'm terrible at doing that. The, what's that? The band, my bands in town page that oh, like yeah, alerts yeah. people if I'm I I'm so bad at keeping that thing updated. I swear I perform places and travel. Yeah, I just I, never update the calendar, so I'm I sure just it put, doesn't look like it. Mine's just populated by the actual calendar on my computer on my uh, like my Google Calendar. It automatically yeah. goes to my website, so I don't ever have to mess with it. It's just if I put it on my Google Calendar, it's on there. Which also means if I accidentally put like a dentist appointment on my Google Calendar under the wrong yeah, calendar, it'll show up on my website. I had I that's have that used to be the system. Yeah, but I have a shared calendar uh, with my wife uh, and mother-in-law for like childcare purposes. Sure. So I'm like, I'm going to accidentally tell the internet <laughs> that my kid has like a doctor's appointment. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, if you want to know when uh, Glenn's kids going to the doctor, go to glentickle.com. <laughs> And uh, it was a pleasure having you on again, man. Hope hope you get some rest. Always great to be here, friend. That is all for this week. Thank you so much to Glenn Tickle for being my guest. And thanks to you for listening. Here's the voice of Leonid's appendix. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True! 
the internet says it's true, we'd like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Sean Brown, Joshua Endress, Dallas Ray, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Jim and Joanne Martin, Mitch and Andrew Joseph Templin, and the show's official emperor, KickTrack. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and all audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash michaelkent.